You're listening to Understanding the Law Radio with your host, attorney Peter Lamont. Well, hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. I'm your host, Peter Lamont. Hope everybody's doing great. Today we have um, sort of an interesting discussion about a term of art, a legal term of art, and that term is cause of action. So what the heck is a cause of action? You know, we all know that lawyers like to use big words. It makes them feel important outdated Latin and confusing phrases. They use these things all the time, and it you know it drives most normal people crazy. One of these special phrases is cause of action. Now, most of you are asking, what the heck does that mean? Well, that's exactly what I'm going to explain today. I'm going to talk about what is a cause of action and what does it mean to your lawsuit, okay? So first, let's dive into an explanation of cause of action. Now, if you look on the internet, you're going to find a ton of long-winded, confusing definitions for the phrase cause of action. But we're going to ignore all of that complicated mumbo-jumbo, and we're going to get right down to the nitty-gritty. Basically, a cause of action is the legal theory under which a plaintiff, that's the person suing, believes that the defendant violated the law or his or her rights. So it's a theory of liability by which the plaintiff is seeking either money or other assistance from the court. So basically what it is in a nutshell is the legal theory that you believe you're entitled to recover money under. Let's let's jump into an example and this might clear it up even more. So for example, let's say that you entered into a contract with a bleat up uh, beach. <laughs> let's try that again. Let's say that you entered into a contract with a beach blanket manufacturer. Okay, they're the seller. And you agreed to purchase 100 beach blankets from the seller, which you intended to use at an upcoming company beach party. So you sign a contract that said for $600, the seller will provide you with 100 custom beach blankets on or before June 2nd. Now, you made it very clear to the seller that the beach party was scheduled for June 5th and that you absolutely needed the blankets no later than the 2nd. So on June 2nd, the seller calls you and says that there was a manufacturing error and that the blankets won't be ready before June 5th. He also refuses to refund your money. So what do you do? Well, you decide to sue him. What are the legal theories that you're going to allege? Well, you can allege the following causes of action. Breach of contract, unjust enrichment, maybe even negligence. So those theories of liability are your causes of action. So causes of action is just a fancy way of saying what areas of law did the defendant violate? What are you suing under? What is your theory of liability? And in this example, breach of contract is one because the seller promised to do something by a particular date and didn't do it, and that violated or breached the contract. So that's one cause of action. The next one is unjust enrichment because you paid for the 
blankets. You paid for the merchandise, and you didn't get it in accordance with the contract. So that would be your second cause of action. And then perhaps you can allege negligence that he, uh, you know, his his actions deviated from the norm, etc. And that would be your third cause of action. So that's an explanation in example form of what a cause of action is. Let's jump into a second example. All right. Now, this time, let's say that you take the same set of facts with the beach blanket and everything, but let's assume that the seller never calls you. And on June 4th, you call him to find out that the blankets, uh, to find out when the blankets will be delivered. And he refuses to answer the phone or responds to you or, or respond to you in any way. Now, under this set of facts, you might be able to include an additional cause of action for fraud. So essentially, you would allege that the seller one, intentionally made false statements of material fact, you know, that he would deliver the blankets. Two, that he intended for you to rely on his misrepresentation of those facts. Three, that you did, in fact, reasonably rely on the statement. And four, that you sustained damages. So if you could establish those areas of of liability, you'd be able to have a successful cause of action for fraud. So the point here I'm trying to make is that the addition of new facts can create a new cause of action. And there's no limit to how many causes of action you can have in a lawsuit so long as all of them are valid or at least made in good faith. Now, What would happen if under the first scenario, the one where the seller tells you that there was a manufacturing error, you attempted to allege a cause of action for fraud? At best, that cause of action would be dismissed because you can't establish the necessary elements of fraud or at worst, worst, you can get sanctioned or fined by the court for filing a frivolous claim. And this is what I was talking about a minute ago where I said there's no limit to the number of causes of action in a particular lawsuit, so long as you have a good faith basis for pleading those causes of action. So in this example, if the seller tells you it's a manufacturing error and he's communicating with you and it's just an error, negligence, it might be breach of contract, but it's not fraud. It's not someone trying to um, you know, make statements, misrepresenting facts and Uh, lying to you. It's not fraud in any way. So if you tried to allege a cause of action for fraud, it'll be dismissed, number one, because you can't prove it. But like I said, you might be subject to fines because the court deems your cause of action to be frivolous. So you can't file frivolous claims just to beef up your complaint. Only if those claims, those causes of action are supported by actual facts. So just to bring things back around full circle, a cause of action is the legal theory under which a plaintiff sues a defendant. You can allege as many as the facts permit so long as they are, in fact, supported by facts. That's a lot of facts in one sentence, huh? Filing claims for causes of action that you can't substantiate or that are made in bad faith can get you in trouble with the court, so you don't want to do that. Now, many people will say, how do I figure out what 
my cause of action is. You know, let's say you are representing yourself pro se. Where do you get that information? Well, there's a lot of resources online that will, you know, establish or explain different causes of action. There's also a number number of legal publications, legal books that just provide a whole slew of causes of action. If you have questions about what cause of action you might have in a particular case, you know, please feel free to check our site, utlradio.com, and look through some of the resources that are available online to see if that question is answered for you. I know that we have gone through the elements of a number of claims, and we're going to continue to do that in, uh, in our blogs and in our, our podcasts. But if there's a particular cause of action that has not been addressed yet and you want to know what are the legal elements and how does that claim or cause of action work, just reach out. You can email me directly at pl at utlradio.com or you can call us at 973-949-3770 and I would be happy to uh, talk about elements of particular causes of action with you. Well, I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast and that I was able to clear up some of these uh, confusing ideas that we in the legal profession think are normal. That makes us completely abnormal uh, because we're dealing with these archaic terms and Latin phrases and we like to throw around big words, causes of action. But you as a potential pro se litigant, somebody representing yourself, you need to know what it all means because I hate to see someone who's representing themselves get confused by something so simple, but attorneys know, hey, you didn't go to law school, you're not 100% familiar with the legal system, I can throw around some big terms and confuse the heck out of you, and I want to prevent that. So hopefully um, this was, was beneficial to you. If you've got questions, again, please feel free to reach out and contact me. I'm happy to answer any questions that I can. And don't forget to check out utlradio.com and subscribe so that you get updated with all the recent developments and you know specials and um, you know some of our publications that that we're in the works or that are in the works. So you don't want to miss that. All right. Thanks for joining me. I will be back next week with another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. Until then. I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. If you'd like more information about the show, or if you'd like to take advantage of our business and legal self-help resources, including our extensive video library, then visit us online at utlradio.com. That's utlradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and of course on YouTube. Now, if you have questions about any of the topics that you've heard discussed on today's show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, please reach out to me directly at info at utlradio.com, or you can call at 973-949-3770. Please also make sure to rate this podcast over on iTunes and share the information that you've received with your family, your friends, and colleagues, and let them know about utlradio.com, your business success, and legal information station. I'll see you next time.